There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It was just the most massive thing I've ever seen. To tell you the honest truth, I thought, well, we're the only ones left on this planet. Something's happened. It missed something here. The fear that went in me when I seen it was just, um, like the feeling, I'd say it was fear, but I've never felt that feeling before in my entire life. It's a weird feeling, like you can't explain it when you don't know. You feel like you're being followed, but you don't know what it is. We had two to our right, another one in front of us, another one to the left, and another one just across the road, shaking the daylight out of the tree. All we get is a big red eye. I remember waking up and looking at the end of the bed and there was a figure there, almost insect-like, and then I blacked out. Welcome to the show, everyone. My name is Cade Moyer, and you are listening to the Believe Paranormal and UFO podcast. If you have had an encounter and would like to share it, please get in touch with me. My email address is believepod at gmail.com. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to leave us a rating or review wherever you listen and head on over to our website, believepod.com, and consider becoming a member to get bonus episodes and video content. Tonight I'm joined by Josh and Josh lived in this rather unusual haunted house in Melbourne. So Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me. I always like hearing stories of people who grew up in haunted houses because I feel like it gives them this very unique perspective of the world. And depending on the age that you were when you grew up in these types of situations, they can really mold the, I guess, a young person's mind. So, Josh, can you take us back to when you lived in this house and kind of tell me where this all really started for you? Yeah, sure. It's uh Probably going back to about 1995. So I think I just turned 12, was just finishing off primary school, moved into a a new house or what was a a new house for my family at the time, which was my brother, my sister, my mum and dad. And so it's about 1995, about to start year seven the next year. And we moved into this, what I thought was a really big, beautiful house. It was was really nice. I mean, it was a bit dilapidated. It needed a bit of work. But I thought it was really nice, but it did. there were certain elements about this house that really gave me the creeps. And one of those examples was, and I've never had this in any other house before, but I often felt like there was someone standing right behind me in certain rooms of the house. And some of our guests, some of my friends who came over in the years to follow said similar things. They're like, do you feel there's someone following you up the staircase? And I'd never said that to anyone and had exactly the same feelings. So anyway, just, just a, a bit of a gut feeling at this stage. Never had any reason to believe that there was anything strange about the house because I had never encountered anything paranormal prior to that. But then probably by six to 12 months of living in the house, we found that the little thermostat for the heater on the side wall would just turn itself to full all the time. Like 
every few days and we would argue over in the house who, who had adjusted the thermostat and, and it just went on and on and on and we agreed that it was no one in the end and we couldn't work it out and one day I said to mum do you think that there's something a bit paranormal going on here and mum looked at me like she had exactly the same thought but she she didn't admit it she said no don't be silly there's no such thing but I could tell in her eyes that she had wondered the same thing you know, so pretty, pretty minor, insignificant stuff. Now you could say that it was maybe some mass hallucination or something like that. Uh, but then, sort of things started to intensify a little bit more. Then we had a pot plant outside my bedroom room had just been launched across the room one day. So we come home. No one actually saw it get launched, but we come home, went up the stairs, and outside my bedroom is this pot plant and a big trail of dirt. And this thing probably weighed three or four kilos. It was completely full of dirt. And it hadn't, it hadn't been blown by the wind. It hadn't just tipped. It had been thrown across the room. <laughs> uh, nothing else in the house disturbed. Probably three or four months later, my brother had a huge CD player. I just remember like a big old boombox style CD players back in the, the mid 90s. He had one of them plugged into his wall in the middle of the night, about two or three in the morning. It got ripped out of the wall and launched about two meters across the room as well and smashed all over the place. So, it went from being this feeling of a weird paranormal presence to something that was a little bit more tangible. Things were starting to move and things were starting to get broken. In addition to that, things would go missing. <laughs> so yeah, we would put things down and we would find that it wasn't there not long after. It would appear two or three years later in exactly the same spot that it was left. So weird like poltergeist type activity. Very strange. That is exactly what I was thinking. It, it sounds like, I don't want to say like typical pol- poltergeist activity, but it, it sounds definitely like that because, you know, you, you're getting these rather entry-level kind of interactions with this whatever's in this house, and then that starts to, to really build up the intensity over time with that pot plant being thrown and then the, the boombox being thrown. Those things... I remember them. I used to have one, and those things weighed a ton. That's that's a genuinely dangerous projectile getting thrown around. Absolutely, yeah, it woke, woke the whole house, and, and especially my brother who was asleep in bed at the time. So it wasn't like he was sleepwalking and it bumped it off his shelf or anything like that. It was the middle of the night and, and woke everybody up and scared us all to bits. What was the the vibe when these types of scenarios are going on? Because, you know, 1995, horror movies were pretty big. Like, horror movies were big in the 90s. What was the the vibe of what was going on here? Like, you you kind of mentioned earlier that you were thinking, hey, maybe this is something paranormal going on. But when things start getting escalated to this level, what goes through everyone's mind in the house there? Yeah, I think about this all the time and I, I think, why were we not more cottoned on to the fact that things were going on at the time? I think we were all in denial. There was certainly a lot of dismissive talk about every incident that happened, especially because my dad was such a non-believer. He just did not believe any of this was occurring. He thought it was somebody bumping things accidentally or being a clumsy fool or making a mistake and not admitting that they'd turn the heater on or bump the pop plan off or whatever. So because dad was so anti the idea of anything paranormal that that certainly i guess made us think down that pathway as well but over time it sort of got to the point where some of it couldn't be denied anymore and i mean the next set of stories that i'll share with you were probably 
was was the point where we said, well, hang on, this is this is not a delusion. We are we are we have seen things now, and we we believe this to be true. So, the example that really sort of solidified this, we all had our own encounters in years to follow, where we actually saw visible ghosts floating around the house or or doing different things. So, one example was. I think the first one, and I didn't tell my family about this for a while because I didn't want to scare the rest of the house. But the first one was, I was in my bed asleep one night, and I had this feeling like, "Wake up, Josh!" So I wake up and I open my eyes, and I'm looking at the end of my bed, and there's this tall, old man who's just staring menacingly at me, and he's just gazing into my eyes. It looks like he, he wants to harm me in some way, like really terrifying look. And then he just pauses, and he jumps over the bed, dives towards me, like flies in midair, in this really aggressive lunge. And I quickly throw my head under the covers, and I'm shitting my pants under there for the next few hours. And heart's racing. You know, eventually drifted off to sleep after many hours. But to me, that was you know, I saw a physical presence in my room, or an ethereal presence in my room. Woke up in the morning thinking, did that just happen? And was that some sort of Delusion or sleep paralysis or something, but it was it was so real. It was I was a hundred percent awake for it, and I checked. My door had a little wedge under it, and so no one had come into my room during the night. There was no physical person there. It was something paranormal for sure. And yeah, that was probably the most scared I've ever been in my life. Yeah, that is terrifying to to see someone that's not in your family in your house lunge at you while you were you were so young that is genuinely terrifying and the the fact that this thing was a potential entity there just really makes that next level scary for for someone in that situation absolutely yeah and I, I mean at the time i was the only one who'd seen any ghost in the house at that point in time but a couple of years later i guess i got some validation that i wasn't crazy <laughs> and they didn't see the old man but my my mum walked past my brother's bedroom and saw a little girl sort of drifting floating down the corridor like illuminated but translucent she walked past his bedroom another night and saw this little girl lying in his bed next to him again sort of like glowing and illuminated and there was another night where she walked past his room and his mobile phone was on on the floor it was an old Nokia and it was illuminated because a message had gone off or it was charging or something and the little girl was crouched over his phone and was lit up by by the white or the bluish white screen so there were quite a few incidents where we saw different entities in the house and when we shared all those stories together we we sort of all admitted some of these other stories that had happened to us over the years and that included not only seeing people but hearing people so there was one night where i sat down on the couch and it was dead quiet at night it was you know probably nine or ten o'clock at night we lived in a pretty quiet neighborhood uh, and i could hear this <sighs> like a gasping for air breathing and it was like so close to my ears it sounded like someone was breathing in my ears and the sound sort of moved around behind me and i didn't tell anyone that until we then started sharing all the ghost stories of things that we had suspected were going on in the house and then mum said that she has had heard similar sounds and she has a bad back or had a bad back at the time she used to have to get up and 
like stretch her back during the night and roll down on this big foam mattress and, and everything else. And she could hear in, in the still of the night at you know, two or three in the morning when it was completely quiet, all she could hear was this heavy gasping breathing of what sounded like an old man, which I then went on to assume was the old man who did that lunge across my bed in my bedroom a couple of years prior. How old were you when you all started to kind of cross-analyse your stories with each other? Yeah, so they started when I was about 12, these stories. I don't think it was until I was about 15 or 16 that we sort of started sharing the stories. And it wasn't until Christmas about 10 years ago that we were down at my, my parents' holiday house and we were just having a bit of a laugh about some of the stuff that happens. And then we all came out with all the other things we had withheld from each other. And then there was just this barrage of all these stories of things that none of us had shared, all these revelations about paranormal encounters from things going missing to TVs turning on to seeing people float through the front door and then out the front door and all sorts of weird things like that. So, yeah, it probably happened during my teens. I would say it happened from when I was 12 through to when I moved out of that house, which was about 24. Yeah, it was probably a 10 to 12-year period. That's a long time to yeah. go through these experiences. And I'm I'm really surprised that you all kind of kept these stories to yourselves for, for so long. Is there any reason that you kind of kept them to yourselves? I think his dad was such a strong voice on the topic that he was such a non-believer about the issue that, I mean, by by, by the time we'd seen stuff, I think we, we, we didn't listen to him too much in terms of his view because we, we had this evidence validated for ourselves with our own eyes. Um, I think a part of it was fear. We didn't want to admit that it was actually happening because then we would be thinking about it. We tried to deny it and push it out of our consciousness a little bit. Um, that's the explanation I come up with when I try to think back to why didn't we talk about this more often. Now, we did get to a point in time where we did start talking about it a bit more often. In fact, we, we went on a couple of holidays and we, we found that a couple of these paranormal type events would follow us on holidays as well. So then we sort of started talking about those as well. So there was one example, I reckon I was about 15 or so, we went on a houseboat out to Echuca. We were with another family, so it was a big, big houseboat, slept, I think, probably 10 of us. And I remember thinking this thing had a, a bit of a creepy vibe. I don't know why I thought a houseboat would be creepy, but I remember feeling that way at the time. And when we'd finished that holiday, Mum confessed to me that one night, in the middle of that night, she woke up to a hand fully gripping her ankle and had pulled her whole leg out the end of the bed. And she looked across to go to my dad, what are you doing, John? And she looked across and he was completely asleep, not anywhere near her ankles. So she had, and the door was closed. So she had some sort of entity grab her leg and pull her out the end of the bed. So she was she was a bit a bit shaken up by that. But then only maybe two years later, I remember we went up to Noosa in, in the Sunshine Coast. And uh, it was during the Sydney Olympics, whenever that was. It was the year 2000. And... I think two or three nights before we arrived at this motel, uh, mum received a call saying that the guy who we'd booked through and the guy who ran this whole hotel, the motel, had passed away. He had a, a big heart attack and everything else. And I remember that had already set the tone for me, thinking, right, well, that's a bit creepy. We're staying in one of his rooms. Anyway, I, I'm sleeping downstairs on a rollout mattress all by myself. The rest of my whole family sleeping upstairs. 
everything is creaking, everything's moving. I can hear what I believe to be footsteps moving around the house that night. So I hardly slept a wink. Anyway, we get up the next day and my brother's woken up. He's not feeling well. He's, he's probably 14 at the time. So he's decided he's going to stay at home or we're going to go to the beach. So we all went out to the beach for a couple of hours. We came home and he's standing outside the motel room, just white as a ghost. Why, what's going on? Are you all right? And he said that he was sitting there on the couch and he got up to turn the TV on. I had to get up and physically walk over to the TV to turn it on. It's one of those big black CRT screens. And in the reflection, there was this old man, figure of an old man standing directly behind my brother. And you could see him clear as anything. So my brother's swung his fist around and he's quickly bolted to get out of this place, convinced that he had seen a physical person in that room. The story gets a little bit weirder in that the next day he refused to stay at home. He's coming to the beach with us. So we all go to the beach and we all come back to the hotel room a few hours later. Everything upstairs in the bedroom, in the two bedrooms, has been placed in a straight line. So the alarm clock's been ripped out of the wall and placed on a line. The shoes, towels, clothes, all in like this perfect straight line. Like, what is going on here? So we, we, and we're keeping in mind what my brother had said the day before. We're thinking, is there something paranormal here? Let's, let's do a thorough investigation. So we called up, no, there's no housekeeping at all. No one has the key. It's not part of the service they provide at this place. So nobody had access to the place. Nothing was missing. And there was this weird straight line of all these objects from the alarm clock to shoes, to clothes, to bags, to everything all in a straight line. There must've been 10 objects in a straight line and perfectly straight. It wasn't like we'd accidentally unplugged the alarm clock and placed it on the ground or anything like that. It was very strange. The, the thing I find most unsettling about that is there seems to be this high level of intelligence to whatever's going on. Absolutely. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's, there's no residual element about it. It feels very much like an intelligent haunting of some sort so that they're able to actively interact with my family in certain ways. And yeah, demonstrated across many of those examples I've given from mum getting yanked out of the end of the bed to me having someone lunging over my bed to rearranging furniture and moving things like a real typical poltergeist activity. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it, it seems like it's a lot of the, the interactions almost seem based around that that elderly man. And I, I don't know if that is a, a reoccurring kind of figure within the, the experiences that you've had, but the ones that you've even just shared here briefly, he, he kind of seems to, and I'm, I'm just absolutely spitballing here saying this, but he seems to be a, a fairly regular figure within these hauntings. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's what we decided at the end of the day, after all those years, when we got together and shared all our stories, I mean, he seems prominent from the, the breathing through to being physically seen, you know, the way mum got yanked out of bed feels like something that it, it was his action. So yeah, he certainly seems to have been there for quite a few, a few of the events. Did you ever find yourself being scared to be in that house or did it all just start to become the norm for you? I, I definitely had times where if I came home late, particularly sort of as I finished high school and I was in early uni days I would come home more later at night and if I'd had a few beers it wasn't 
wasn't a problem. But if I'd come home from work or something, I, I often was worried and, and scared. And I remember one night I had this feeling like I was being followed up the staircase and I got to my room and I quickly closed my door. And as I closed my door, I couldn't quite close the door for some reason. There was something like some force pushing against it. So I had this wedge that I would often wedge under the door just to so stop the door from blowing in the breeze. So I put the wedge under the door, but then the door handle like started turning left and right and <laughs> like someone was trying to get into my room. So I will never forget that one. That's yeah, that's was, terrifying. That is genuine a lot of those, horror movie yeah, stuff. There was a lot of those sorts of nights where I, yeah, I, I, I took hours to go to sleep after those sorts of events and I didn't want to go wake the whole family up over it. And it would have meant I would have had to walk around the house as well. So I was quite happy just to sort of bury my head under the doona and go to sleep, I think. Did you ever feel like you were going crazy with some of these types of encounters? Because some of that stuff would make you kind of question, like, what is going on here? Is this, is this reality? And now a quick word from our sponsor. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Also, are you wanting more content? Why not become a Believe Plus member? You'll get access to exclusive podcasts and episodes that aren't available to the public. Not only that, you'll also get our regular feed without any ads. Head to believepod.com forward slash plus to sign up today for just $5 a month. Yeah, uh, definitely. And, and so then I started at, at lunchtime at school. I would go in and try and get my hands on some books on the topic. And interestingly, the school library had books on these sorts of topics, who would have thought. But then, you know, the internet became more available. And by my you know, mid-high school years, I was able to get onto websites and, and learn a bit more about other encounters that people have had to try and validate what I was experiencing to understand, well, is it all in my head or is it actually happening? So by that stage, I sort of started to learn a lot of the information about you know, why they might be coming to our family and it might not just be the house because when we started moving around to like holiday destinations and we still had things happen, that's what made me think, well, maybe it's not specific to our house, but it's actually specific to our family. So, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely started to do a bit of research. And one of the things that I, I seem to consistently come across was that certain people, and, and often it runs in the families, are, are more in tune to this type of activity and, and more able to, I guess, I guess, respond and interpret some of these messages and experiences. So I, I guess that's probably further validated by this, this next little round of stories that I'm going to share, which I guess went on to further del- validate for me that I wasn't going crazy. So I probably, I'm going to say maybe like I was probably about 15. I had this precognitive dream, which I didn't know was a precognitive dream at the time. But in my dream, it was this really silly, stupid dream. Uh, in my dream, I had I rocked up to school to go to English class that day. And there was a sign on the door saying that we had to move to, to this classroom B21. For, it was a computer room. We never had English in the computer room. But anyway went to the computer room that day and this is all in the dream still and then one of the one of the boys near me chucks a scrunched up bit of paper over and it, one of the other kids and it lands near the teacher and the teacher thinks it's me and kicks me out 
I thought, oh, a bit of a weird dream. Anyway, get to school the next day and find out that English is actually in the computer room B21. And I'm like, this feels like a deja vu thing. At this point, not recalling the specific dreams that I'd had. And then, sure enough, a couple of minutes later, one of the boys chucks a bit of paper and I'm like, this is deja vu, except I know what's going to happen now. I know I'm about to get kicked out. And the teacher, sure enough, she's like, Josh, get out. And I'm just sitting in the corridor of the school going, what What just happened? Like, I, I knew that was going to happen. How, how has this happened? <laughs> and that was, that was nothing compared to some of the other ones that then followed in, in the years that followed after. So I dreamt my sister's enter school for her VCE and that was about two months before she'd sat her final exams. So I wrote that score on the fridge, what score she was going to get, and got that right to the decimal. My brother, three years later, did a his enter, and I got that to the decimal point again three years later. And how are those scores graded? Because uh, where I am, when I when I went to school, it was like an IP and it was like basically from, I think, 22 to, to 1, which is kind of like your high school grade uh, for our international listeners. But I don't know what the, the system was in Victoria. Like how intricate are those numbers? Yeah, it was, I think, 0.05s was the decimal. So 99.95 back then was the best score you could get. And then it went down to 99.9, 99.85, 99.8, and it just kept going in decimal points. It might have it might have been one decimal point, I can't remember, but I think it was to two decimal points. So I, to my sister, I said, you'll get a score, it'll be 89.5, and my brother, I think it was 76.3, and yeah, wrote them both on the fridge before they'd even sat their exams, and and was spot on. And I was so convinced that that's what they were getting. I'm like, I, don't, I couldn't explain to them, I just said, this is what you're getting. I know it's like it's a fact that has already been given to me and like it's already happened. It was this weird thing. So, and this is all in this one house. So, but then the next couple of stories are weirder. So, I reckon by the time I was about 21, my nana, so my mum's mum, she died a couple of years earlier. She actually came to visit me in what was the most vivid dream I'd ever had. And she introduced me to my grandfather, who had died long before I'd ever had a chance to meet him. He died when I was about 14. And she, she brought me into my parents' room, and it was lit with this golden light, and it was, you know, a really, really peaceful sort of vibe. And she, she sits me down on my parents' bed. She says, sit down, I've got someone I want to introduce you to. So in comes my grandpa and gives me a handshake and gives me a hug, and you know, I wake up in tears, you know, happy, this beautiful emotional sort of feeling. And you know, I told mum, the first thing I told her the story, and then I said, oh, and there's this other woman standing in the background, didn't say anything, but looks just like my cousin Kate. Mum's like, oh, okay, what's, I wonder who that could be. So we went looking through this old photo album that she had from my nana's. And sure enough, like my nana's cousin or something who I'd never even met looks exactly like my cousin Kate. Same hair, same everything. And she was there in the background as well. So, so that was... <laughs> So at this stage, these precognitive spiritual contact dreams are getting more intense. Uh, but the best one happened probably a couple of years after that. The best one uh, for me, anyway, I mean, it's this one I haven't told too many people, but uh, when I was probably in my mid-20s, was just before I moved out of the house, um, I, I had a, a disabled cousin who had severe brain damage, Mel, for 
I don't know, 15, 20 years, last 20 years of her life. And she appeared to me in a dream. And we were standing on the steps of where my grandparents, our mutual grandparents had had their funeral. And she was standing there and she said, Josh, I've come to you to let you know that I'm moving on from this life. I've you know, learned all, all that I can. I've suffered all that I can. There's nothing more for me. And I came to you because I thought I could get through to you. Anyway, so I woke up like, and that was the most extreme dream. Went downstairs and, and told mum before I went off to uni that day. And mum's like, oh, yeah, well, we haven't we haven't heard from that side of the family because, you know, it's sort of a, a cousin, but it's not, not a close cousin that we saw all the time or anything. So we hadn't heard from them for a few years. Anyway, I came home from uni or from work, wherever it was that day, and mum's like, yeah, cousin Mel's dying. She's got a couple of days to live. And she died three days later, and I hadn't seen her for probably four years before that. Wow, that is yeah. that is incredible. How does that make you feel knowing that out of everyone that she could have spoken to, that she chose you to say that? Yeah, it's yeah, it's pretty pretty special for me. It's something that I haven't been able to explain to people, but to me, it means that yeah, time's just not what we think it is because. I don't know. It's it still messes with my brain to this day, really. But I mean, it's it's just an honour that I, I she was able to come through to me, and something in that house enabled me to have these types of experiences at a heightened manner because I haven't really had many since. Really, like I have not had many precognitive dreams. I sometimes dream who wins the footy, and I would go and bet on it and win a bit of money here and there. You know, some of those sorts of fun little things when I'm absolutely convinced of a, of a score. Um, but I haven't had them to this extent, really, for probably 15, yeah, 10, 15 years. So it's weird that they all happened in that house. Do you find anyone else in your family had as much activity as you did? I would say I probably had the most, but I was also the most into it. So I was reading up about it the most. I was probably subconsciously welcoming it the most. Having not had any experiences like this for the last 15 years i mean they say be careful what you wish for but i would probably welcome a little bit of activity again i'm running out of stories all my friends have heard all these stories now <laughs> give me some new juicy content right so I, I don't know yeah i would say that i had the most though when we when we get together and we share all our stories uh we, yeah i would say that I, I had the most we did have a few together though so a couple of years after all this started happening we got to my early 20s so me, my brother, and my sister said, "Let's and my neighbour as well. Let's investigate. Let's find out what's going on. Let's let's do some seances and let's let's you know make up a, a homemade Ouija board and see if we can get some communication going to see if we can actually try and communicate with some of these entities that seem to be popping up in the house and try and get some answers to that. And we didn't know what we were doing. We maybe YouTube something on um, how to do a safe one and how to protect yourself beforehand." And, all of that, but we didn't really know what we were doing. We literally just got a piece of paper and a permanent marker and wrote the letters and the numbers and yes, no, goodbye sort of thing and our initials on it. And anyway, so, so yeah, we, we hadn't really tinkered with the Ouija boards before and that's because mum had explicitly told us not to. And, and there's a story behind that too, which I'll mention. And, and that's because I mentioned before that her dad died when she was 14. So she tried to contact him with three other people in her early 20s and they were using a shot glass over a Ouija board and the glass started violently moving around really aggressively, getting yanked left and right and everybody's arms 
against their will was getting pulled over this Ouija board. So they all said, that's enough. This is getting out of hand. They took their hands off the Ouija board and the glass kept moving around by itself before eventually flying off the table and smashing on the ground. So mum had always said, you are not to tinker with these things. This is a real phenomenon. And you don't know what sort of portals you're unlocking. And mum told us that later in life when we sort of started suggesting that we might do seances. So what do we do? We wait till mum and dad go out for dinner and then get the neighbour over and then me and my brother and sister and neighbour get a, get a sounds going, right? <laughs> what do all kids do at that age? They listen to, to their folks. So, you know, so we're fairly confident that we were getting through to spirit guides for what we, what we deemed at the time to be our spirit guides because that's, that's what they were spelling out to us. And they were giving us some sort of validation. So they were confirming things that were known to us, like facts that we knew to be true, our date of birth, what school we went to, you know, those sorts of things. But then we were sort of quite conscious that there's a bit of trickery involved in these seances. We'd done a little bit of reading about sort of, you know, how you can be fooled with these sorts of things. So I sort of proposed a bit of an experiment because I was quite conscious that we were moving the board around with our subconscious. So I would say, when's my date of birth? And I know my date of birth and I had my finger on there and we were just guiding it to my date of birth and maybe I was more subconsciously guiding it. So the experiment we did was I asked my sister to take her hand off the Ouija board and I said to her, you come up with a question in your head, don't tell us what the question is, and I'll write out the answer based on what the board spells. So me, my brother and neighbour, got our fingers on the, I think it was a 20 cent coin, and it spells out the word Candlewell with a K, so one slightly misspelled, maybe with a V in there as well, slightly misspelled, but enough to recognise the suburb of Candlewell, which was a couple of suburbs away from our place. So I said to my sister, what question did you ask? And as I look at her, she's got this like look of absolute shock on her face. And she'd asked the question, what basketball team do I play for? Who played for the Campbell Dragons? So at that point, like, wow, we just completely validated the Ouija board phenomenon. This is a genuine phenomenon. This is not subconscious influence from people pushing the coin over letters whilst they know the answer, because my sister had no way of influencing the board directly unless she telepathically influenced us some way. I don't know how it worked, but we, we validated it several times afterwards and, and it just kept working. So at this point, we've got this really, really strong connection. And we, you know, we went on to ask all these sorts of crazy questions. And I just documented all of those over the years in terms of all the things that we wrote down and all the messages we got through. One of the most amazing seances though that we did was it was me, my brother and sister all went out into the backyard. And by this stage, it was a few years later, mum and mum and dad knew that we did seances by that time because we'd been caught a couple of times. <laughs> so been out in the backyard and it was a nice warm summer's night. And we took a candle out and our little homemade Ouija board that we'd made up five minutes earlier with a permanent marker. And so we went out into the backyard and mum comes down. She's like, what's going on out here? And she's like, all right, I'll, jo- I'll join in. So she, she was really fascinated. She, she she couldn't help herself. I think she'd always been really interested in this sort of stuff. Yeah, so it was this seance was amazing because it just started spelling everything out really clearly. It started spelling out the initials, so circling the initials that we'd handwritten on the Ouija board, uh, of all four of us that were sitting at the table. And then it spelled fate four, fate four. And then it was JF, LF, ZF, AF. It was circling the initials and then fate four, and it just kept going on and on. I'm like, maybe, all right, so I used to scribe, I used to write everything down, and I, I interpreted this to be, 
that whoever we were speaking to was telling us that it was fate that the four of us had come together for this seance on, on this particular night. So I'm, anyway, I'm writing this down and then it moves on and it starts spelling CD3. We're not even asking questions at this point. It's just self-guided. It's writing its own message to us. So it spells out CD3, CD3, just in this loop. It just keeps going. I said to mum, maybe it means DC3 because her dad flew in World War II, flew a DC3 airplane. And just as I finish that sentence, a DC-3 aeroplane flies over our backyard, over the table that we were sitting on in the backyard, and we look up and I'm like, Mum, that's the DC-3 that flies over every Sunday night. It's a restaurant plane that leaves from Essendon Airport, well, it used to 20 odd years ago. I used to just take people up for a meal and a joyride, and it did that every Sunday, and we knew that, but we didn't know it that night before we'd sat down that that was going to happen and we hadn't clicked. But seconds after we're getting this fate for cd3 the dc3 flies overhead and we're like wow and then we're really into the sales so that by this time we're like this is it this is genuine we've got this super strong connection now so i start asking all sorts of questions like who threw the pot plant off at that point in time my grandpa said he actually threw it because he never liked it anyway <laughs> and then he's like, ha, ha. he started laughing and then i asked and will I get married? And it's spelt out F-19. And my question wasn't what month or, or date would I get married, but more so how old would I be when I get married was sort of what I was just intrigued about. Anyway, so it spells F-19, which you know, we all interpreted could only mean one thing, February 19. That's the only thing that made any sense to us because there were no other dates that sort of correlated. And interestingly enough, that is the date that, that did eventuate for me being married. It was, yeah, it was a bit of a, an interesting story, but probably six months after that seance, so I went to Europe and met my now wife, who happened to live 10 minutes away from me back home. And yeah, we were, we were booking the wedding, or my wife was booking the wedding venue, and they said, there's a spot that's opened up due to a cancellation. We can get married in seven months, or we could wait 15 months for the next available spot. And, I was never that patient, so I said, let's jump on the seven-month one, and she goes, great, that date will be the 19th of Feb. And oh, you're my joking. wife had no idea. I'd never mentioned that. I'd never shown her that transcript from that seance, and I'd even sort of forgotten that date myself. I'm like, F-19, is that the date that I wrote? And I went back and checked, and yeah, I've got all them documented and had that written down as F-19, which we interpreted to be 19th of Feb. That's <laughs> So when crazy. I did that seance... I'd never even met my wife at that point in time. So, yeah, so a lot of weird stuff happened. That really has to make you think about how time works and how linear is our lives. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Yep, so that one, yeah, and there's probably more stories I've forgotten as well, but heaps of these sorts of things that, for me, sort of invalidate this concept of, of linear time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like the the encounters that you've kind of shared, especially like the the precognitive ones, it all sounds like things are destined to happen one way or another. Like not not saying it's fate, but or, or saying like history is written, but it almost sounds like what what is meant to happen is always going to happen. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I've had these stories for most of them for 15, 20 years now. So I guess I view the world in quite a different way to a lot of people. I know a lot of your guests on the show have had different sorts of weird experiences and many of your listeners would also probably think in a similar way to what I do, that there's a large part of the world that probably stinks in a completely 
you know, standard linear fashion, having not experienced any of these weird things, because you know, prior to me experiencing these things, I wouldn't have believed myself. Does that give you almost like a this? I, I'm, I might go a little bit airy here, but does that give you kind of a, a Zen-like mindset around high-pressure situations or anything like that, knowing that you know you potentially have no control of whatever this outcome is going to be? Yeah, I, it doesn't. Funny, funnily enough, it it gives me it gives me comfort knowing that if we die, we're not gone because I've been visited by my grandparents. I've been visited even by unwelcome visitors. I've been able to somehow traverse time and space to have communications about things that are going to happen in the future. So it gives me comfort in that regard. I certainly have absolutely no fear of dying at all. But I think I still get, you know, like anyone else, anxious about my footy team winning on the weekend or a big tender that's due for work or something like that. Yeah, no, it, it's it's interesting. Just when someone goes through, I guess, life situations like you've gone through and, and the experiences that you've gone through, it can give people just a completely different perspective of the world. And I, I find it so fascinating that, you know, your your normal life is just so vastly different from everyone else's because of the experiences that you've had. Mm, yeah absolutely yeah yeah certainly and i have to ask like your mum sounds like she's really on board with the the paranormal and and kind of you know dips her toes into it with doing seances back when she was younger did your dad ever come around and kind of not admit but lean in and say yeah look there was some stuff that was a little bit unexplainable I think so. I think every time we're at Christmas, when we're all together, we always like to share the stories and we look back sort of fondly on some of the cool encounters we had because of how unique they are. And my dad will, I think, admit that some of these things were beyond anything that he could explain. And, and for that, I think I think there was some level of admission in there, despite how proud he is and how confident he was at the time that there was nothing paranormal going on. I always like it when the most stubborn one in the family kind of bends to to the situation because yeah. well, I, it kind of validates everything else that's happening to everyone else, that if the most stone-cold non-believer can start acknowledging that things are out of the normal, it it kind of shows that what's happening to you is real. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And initially there was there was five non-believers and by the end of it there was four. Oh, sorry, there was only one non-believer and even he was a partial believer, I think. Do you ever wish you could go back to that house? Oh, yeah. I'm tempted to – I say this to my wife all the time. I'm tempted to go and knock on the door and just ask them if they've had anything happen there because it's the same people who bought it from my parents probably 15 years ago. So just ask them, have you guys had anything weird happen? Or maybe like, I don't know how to ask them, but I want to know if, if there's anything else that's happened in that house. I'd love to go back. Yeah, that would be so cool. I I always wonder what happens to to properties like that when it's been so emotionally charged with one family's encounters. What happens to the next family who moves in? Like, do the do the entities or the does the, the ghost, do they kind of get a little bit tired and 
have a break or do they just continue doing what they do? Yeah, and, and if the family that's in there now isn't, you know, that open to the concept or isn't even that sort of sentient, then maybe things are happening and they're not even noticing or maybe they're, they're just not even able to interact with them if, if they're just not that way inclined. I often wonder. I'd love to know if anything's happened. I'll have to get out there in the next few years. It's only 10 minutes away from where I live now, so there's no excuse really. Mate, if you ever do that and you find out, I would love to to get you back on the show and just kind of find out what happens after you move out of a haunted house. Yeah. Well, and interestingly, so I, I mentioned this at the start, I really haven't had much happen since I've moved out of the house. It's like, it was like the tap turned off. I have still had precognitive dreams. I've had lots of out-of-body experiences um, in, in other houses, but I haven't had anything paranormal. I haven't had ghosts moving things around or showing themselves or anything like that since that house. So, it's, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it, it makes me wonder if there's something about the, the land or something like that that they're attached to. Yeah. But, I mean, you, it's also weird that you had that one that kind of just came with you on your holiday. Yeah, and we did look into the land. We thought maybe there's some significance with the land there. Maybe some, you know, trauma or something had taken place prior. And it was just, it was not, it was not eventful. It, was, it used to be farmland before they built up the suburb there. <laughs> this is in... So the house is in North Baldwin, in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. So, it's, you know, it's not, there's nothing significant about it in, in any way. It's not like it used to be a barrel yard or anything like that. Yeah, who knows? Maybe maybe it's just on a on a, a spiritual pathway to, to somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Never know, hey? <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the Believe Paranormal in UFO podcast. If you have had an encounter and you would like to share it, please get in touch with me. My email address is believepod at gmail.com. Finally, don't forget to follow us on all our social media outlets and be sure to join our Discord server to talk to other listeners of the show. You'll find all these links in our show notes. Thank you.